My last message I'd like to share with you is one that is very encouraging. I've entitled it, The Grave of an Entire Generation. Not sure when I'll see you folks again. Um, I said this last time I was here back in 2012, that it's rare for me to come back and do meetings at a church twice, even more rare thrice, and it's never happened that I've come back the fourth time. We don't know what God's will is, but um, just want to say that I love you folks, and I, you have a special place in my heart, and I'm going to pray, be praying for you, and I'm not going to say dramatic goodbye tonight. <laughs> Only see you later. We'll see each other again. Amen? If not here in this wilderness, then hopefully by God's grace in the promised land. The promised land, heaven together. And so, uh, why don't we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bless us as we study. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the blessing that we've experienced all day today, this Sabbath, for the baptisms this morning, and seeing people give their hearts to you, for the beauty of your word that reveals your character to us and shows us who you are. We thank you so much for your divine patience with us in our stubbornness and wanting to do our own thing, and yet you're patient with us. You never give up on us. You use the storm and use the, the fish to save us. We thank you for that, dear God. We thank you so much that in this battle between good and evil, you've won the victory, and that we don't have to be afraid. And now, Lord, as we open your word in this last message, speak to our hearts again. As we close the Sabbath tonight and begin a new week, give us a new heart and a new renewed faith in your promises, in your word. Bless us now as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we live in a world of death and decay. Everything can be taken from us in a moment. We live in a world of insecurity, uncertainty. This is just not a safe place for us to be, friends. I'll never forget, after a meeting just like this, I was heading home, and after the meeting, it was a Saturday night, I preached. And after the meeting was finished, we wanted to go out to eat myself and my family and my friends. So we left the church, and on the way to the restaurant, we stopped by at my house. In Ho this was in Hawaii. Just to change and get into some comfortable clothes. And then we headed to the restaurant. After the meal was finished, we came back, and we were in traffic for a few hours. And when we passed by the accident scene, we saw this and we took these pictures, or we got these pictures from the internet after. On that same road that we were traveling, three instantaneous deaths 
in this terrible accident. One guy was driving the red truck, fell asleep, went into the oncoming traffic, and hit a small car. And all three people in that car died instantly. The car was torn in half. One part of that vehicle was in the bushes, the other part on the opposite side of the world. Very dramatic crash. And one of those three individuals that died was a literal one-year-old baby girl. The news that night said that the accident happened around 8.30, which would have been the time that we would have passed that way had we not stopped at home first to change. Who would have known what would happen? Life is so fragile. This world is so hostile. And as I said, it's just not safe for us to be here. And that's why in this world of chaos and corruption, war, death, and destruction, it ought to make us homesick for heaven. I'm looking forward to that day when the Bible says, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. My friends, there's coming a day when death itself is going to die. There's coming a day when sorrow and sickness, headaches and heartaches, chaos and corruption will be no more. And I can't wait for that day. How about you? A day when we never have to say goodbye to our loved ones, when we'll never lose a loved one from cancer, a drug overdose, suicide, or a tragic accident. A day when there will be no more shadow of the curse, no more trace of darkness and discouragement. There's coming a day when these things will be finished. And so take courage, my friends. This day is just upon us. We're almost home. Heaven is right around the corner when all things will be made new. So take courage. But you know, many people have thought that we should have been there by now. And thus we ask the question, when are you coming, Lord? How much longer will you allow us to live in this world of death and decay? Why has the day been prolonged? Why is the prophetic promise of your coming not yet fulfilled? What causes this dreadful and disheartening delay? When are you coming, Lord, to take us home? And tonight, the Bible gives us an answer to that question. 
Tonight we want to examine a story in the Bible that shows God's eagerness to take us home. But it also reveals and exposes our stubbornness in wanting to stay right here. And it explains what it's going to take for God to take us home. You see, as we go back to the wilderness wandering, we find some very potent and powerful lessons as we learn from the mistakes of the Israelites of old. And so I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Numbers, and we're going to go to the 13th chapter. It's just a simple study, not as long as the last one, I promise. But as we turn to Numbers, the 13th chapter, I want us to notice that what happened in the past is prophetic for the present. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul wrote concerning the people of God when they were wandering in the wilderness. He said, now all these things happen unto them for in samples. For what? That word in samples literally means types. In other words, the stories of the past are a type that will meet its greater fulfillment in an antitype. In other words, it's an object lesson that teaches us what's going to happen in the future. That's the nature of a type. And so it says what happens before were our examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the what? Ends of the world are come. And so history has a way of repeating itself. And that is the nature of the Bible, by the way. Many of the stories in the Old Testament are not just real literal stories, but they have typological and prophetic significance because history repeats. And so what happened in the wilderness wanderings with the people of God back then is being repeated in our wilderness wanderings in the last days. You see, friends, when God set Israelites, the Israelites free from Egyptian bondage, that was a symbol of how God wants to set us free from the bondage of sin. Now, when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and by the way, what enabled them to pass over from bondage into life? What spared them from the angel of death? is because they were covered by the blood. So what sets us free from the bondage of sin? The blood of the Lamb. And so as God's people exit Egypt, God leads them through the Red Sea, which is a symbol of, do you know, baptism. Once the Lord sets us free from sin, that inward experience ought to be followed up by an outward expression of going through the waters of baptism. Now when God's people went through the waters, now they're in the wilderness, and God intended to lead His people directly into the promised land. You see, the journey from Egypt to Canaan, if you're to look at it out on a map, it should have only taken a few weeks or a few months to go from Egypt into Canaan, the promised land. But instead of taking a few months, it took 40 years. Why? We're going to find out. And as a result of this 40 years, the wilderness became the grave of an entire generation. 
we as God's people in the last days are making the same mistake of Israel of old. You see, God never intended us for, uh, for us to wander in the wilderness of this world for this long. He's wanting to take us directly into the heavenly Canaan, the heavenly promised land. The wilderness of this world continues to be the grave of generation after generation after generation who expected to be in the promised land by now. You know it, friends. Your parents and your grandparents thought that Jesus was going to come in their time. But this world is their grave. Why? This story shed some insight as to the reason why. And so Numbers, the 13th chapter, I want us to notice the context before we read it. The context is that God's people are on the borders of the promised land. And they sent out some spies to survey, to study, to look upon the promised land. And friends, you have to understand that, that, that as these, as these uh, spies went out, they, they, they went out with high hopes, with great expectancy. They went with a sense of urgency and eagerness to enter into the promised land. But then after 40 days, they, went, they came back. And they gave a report of what they saw in the promised land. And notice what they said. Numbers 13, beginning with verse 25 if you're there, would you please say amen? It says, and they returned from searching, from searching of the land after 40 days, verse 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And so as these 12 spies come back, they speak to Moses and the Israelites, and at first they give a good news report as to what they saw in the land that God had promised to them. It was a place to be desired more than the wilderness. And I want you to notice how the people of God responded when they heard the good report. Here's what Spirit of Prophecy says. As they listened intently to the report of the people, excuse me, as they listened intently to the report, the people were, the people were enthusiastic. They would eagerly obey the voice of the Lord, excuse the typo, and go up at once to possess the land. But their enthusiasm is turned into what? Unbelief and cowardly despair as they listened to the ten spies enlarge upon the difficulties which were sentiments of their own unbelieving hearts. And so what happened, friends? Verse 28. The spies, they say, yes, it's a nice place. But then verse 28, they say, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwelt in the land of the, in the south, and the, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And so now what happens? These preachers now give a bad news message. They're enlarging 
upon the difficulties of taking the land. They're, they're looking at the giants instead of God's promise. Their message is rooted in their own cowardice and doubt. The obstacles blinded them from the reality of God's promise, and as a result, a gloomy shadow passed upon all the congregation. Courage gives way to cowardice. They become desperate in disappointment, and a wail of agony mingled with confusion swells over the, sweet, the, over the weeping multitude, and the people fall into deep depression and discouragement. Why? Because, friends, listen, the spies gave a wrong report. The attitude of the leadership many times is seen in the laity. The demeanor of the pastor sometimes is reflected in the people. The faith of the minister caught by the members, but praise the Lord that not all of them had a bad report. Amen? There were two of the twelve that had a message of good news. Notice verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, what did Caleb say? Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to, what is that next word? Overcome it. Now, friends, notice. Two different reports, two distinctive reports, but they all saw the same thing. Isn't that right? All 12 spies, they went and they saw the same thing, literally with their eyes. But as a result, there are two reports. Why? Because spiritually, they saw two different things. You see, Caleb saw promise when the rest saw problems. Caleb walked by faith when the rest walked by sight. Caleb looked past the giants and he saw an opportunity to exercise faith in the Word of God. And as we take a look at the contrast of the two different reports by the spies who all saw the same thing, the question comes to us, how do you view vic uh, difficulties when it arises in your life? How do you look upon it? Do you look upon it as an opportunity to trust God and take Him at His Word? Or do you look upon the difficulties as opportunities to be discouraged? I'll never forget when I did some meetings in Ethiopia. It was one of my first evangelistic meetings I ever did. And we were in Ethiopia. Any, any of you been to Ethiopia before? All right, we have someone been to Ethiopia. And the food was amazing for the first three days, but after that we were longing for some variety. <laughs> But we went there on God's errands, and we did some meetings uh, in a city, a town called Awasa. And let me tell you, friends, it was amazing. On average, four to 5,000 people came every single night to our meetings. We held it in a big open field, and they, they built a tent made with sticks and tarp. And the people walked for miles to come to the meetings that were held every single night over a, a period of two weeks. I wish I would, would have put some pictures here so that you can visualize it, but try and use your imagination. And so every night we'd preach all day, and here's the interesting thing, what happened in Ethiopia. Uh, during the day, it would be hot and dry, but for some reason, almost every single evening, right before our meetings start, it would rain like crazy. I mean, the heavens would open and would pour out upon us. And all the streets were, were dirt streets. And so during the day, it was hot, dry, and dusty. But at, 
in the evening, right before the meetings, the streets would turn into rivers. It would be all muddy. But yet the people walked for miles in the rain and the mud, and they sat there. They came like an hour early to get the front row seats. It's interesting. Back in those countries, they go to the front seat, not the back seat. <laughs> and they come an hour early to get the front seat. What a lesson for us, right? <laughs> And I remember one night specifically, I was preaching under this tent. And it was raining so hard that even though I had a microphone and my translator had a microphone, no one could hear me. It was raining so hard and the, it tore the, the tarp open and people were getting drenched and they were getting wet and they were trying to listen. And I had never experienced this before. I had no idea what to do. It was a giant problem. I was there to preach, but they were not hearing me. And so I didn't know what to do. You know, you see in, in America, we don't really have problems like that. I mean, we have a few leaks back in that section of the church. <laughs> Is that right? Somebody will fix that, right? And so I tried to just talk loud, but I couldn't. And so what I did was I stopped preaching, and we invited the choir to come up and start singing, and hopefully the rain would stop, but they sang and sang and sang, and no one left, and the rain kept pouring. And so finally I got back up, and I, and I, and I said, something needs to happen here. And so I called the people, 4,000, 5,000 plus, I said, come close to the stage. And everyone started gathering real close all around the stage. And I said, we're going to pray that God will stop the rain. Never had to pray, pray like that before. You know, that's kind of risky. Praying for God to stop the rain because what if he doesn't? I'm going to look like I'm weak in faith or whatnot or I don't know. Maybe, you know, so I was a little bit hesitant, but something had to happen and so all the people gathered together can you picture it and i prayed god you're probably answering the prayer of some farmer that's been praying for rain but lord tonight this rain is hindering your message from going forth and lord you brought me here from the opposite side of this globe to share this message. And these people have walked for hours and miles to hear it. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd please stop the rain. According to your will, stop the rain. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone say amen. And the very moment people said amen, from being so loud like a Niagara Falls it was complete silence the very moment we said amen. And God stopped the rain, and the people began to rejoice. They were amazed that God heard us that quick. How do you view difficulties when they come? Do you view it, view it as a time to give up or as a time to exercise faith in God's Word? Now, Caleb and Joshua, they saw promise when everyone else saw problems. They walked by faith when everyone else walked by sight. When tough times hit, either financially or, or with your relationships or with your health or with death, what do you see, friends? Let us pray that God will give us the eyes of faith.
to see beyond our circumstances and our difficulties. It's an opportunity to exercise faith in His promises. Amen? Now, David saw the same thing that Caleb and Joshua saw. He saw with the eyes of faith. Remember the story of David and Goliath? You see, it was interesting that everyone, when they looked at Goliath, they saw a scary giant. But you know what David saw when he looked at Goliath? He saw food for the birds. That's what he said. I'm going to feed you to the birds. <laughs> when everyone else said, how could we hit him? He's so big. You know what David said? How could I miss? He's so big. <laughs> everyone else was saying, our weapons are too small. But David was saying, our target is too big. And so David went, not in Saul's armor, but the armor of God. He went in the name of the Lord. When all the older people and experienced warriors were afraid, this young man, he said, I will face the giant. And he came not in his own strength, but in the name of the Lord of hosts with a sling and a stone. And the Bible says that he ran towards Goliath. He didn't waver back and forth and side to side. He ran, friends. And do you realize that he ran before Goliath opened and exposed his forehead? You see, Goliath was all covered with armor. And when he saw David running, it's then that he opened his armor and he looked a little bit closer to see who was coming after him. So here's the point. David went forward before he saw the opportunity to hit. And as he went forward, the opportunity came, and with a sling and a stone, he slew the giant. How many other stones did he have in his bag? Or how many stones did he have total? Do you know why? Goliath had some brothers, four of them. And so he had a stone for each one. In other words, he wasn't presumptuous. He did his part, but he went forward in faith. Amen? How many of you want that kind of faith? You see, the reason why we're still wandering in the wilderness, it has to do with our lack of faith, friends, that God can get us to the promised land and that victory is possible through Christ. And by the way, something interesting, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that that Goliath was covered in bronze and iron armor. And it also tells us that David was able to slay a lion and a bear. And he did it with a stone. Does that sound familiar to you? What is a lion, a bear, bronze, and iron and a stone hitting it. What, what, does that sound familiar? Interesting, huh? I love this. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night, but faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step, but faith soars on high. Doubt questions, who believes? Faith answers, I. Amen. It says in the book, Christ Object Lessons, page four, or excuse me, 148, the honor of his throne is staked for the fulfillment of his word unto us. The honor of God's holy throne 
is staked according to the fulfillment of his word. In other words, if God doesn't fulfill his word, his throne is dishonored. And God will never dishonor his throne, amen? And he will always fulfill his word to us. It says in the book, Desire of Ages, page 668, the Lord is disappointed when his people place a low estimate upon themselves. He desires his chosen heritage to value themselves according to the price he has placed upon them. And friends, what price did Jesus place upon us? His own life. No, don't ever forget, you are the most valuable thing in the universe. And so don't let the devil beat you down and make you feel insecure and having low self-esteem and suicidal thoughts and thinking that your life doesn't care. Friends, you are the most valuable thing in the universe. And God is disappointed when we think otherwise. It says God wanted them, else he would not have sent his son on such an expensive errand to redeem them. Notice, God does not so much need us, but he wants us. We need God, but many times we don't want him. God wants us. He has a desire for us. He has a use for them. And he is well pleased when they make the very, what? Highest demands upon him that they might glorify his name. They may expect large things if they have faith in his promises. Can you say amen to that? So friends, here's the point. The message this, this evening is very simple. This is the last thing I want to leave you. I don't know if I'll see you again, but every difficulty, in every difficulty, learn to look past the giants and see opportunities to exercise faith in the promises of God's holy, infallible word. The 10 spies distort the truth to sustain their own unbelief. Notice what happens in verse 31. But when the men that were with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we, verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Verse 33, and there, were, and there we saw giants and the sons, sons of Anak, which come, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. And so they enlarge upon the difficulties of the land. They bring about an evil report because of their lack of faith. You see, these two different reports of the spies symbolizes two different gospels we hear in the Christian world today. One gospel leads us into Canaan. The other gospel leads us back to the wilderness. And essentially, if you're to boil down the difference of the two different reports, the one report says this, victory is impossible. That's essentially the report or the gospel of the majority. Victory is just not possible. It's not going to happen. That's a false gospel that many churches are preaching today, that it's impossible to have victory over sin and over Satan. 
In other words, these individuals were surprised to find obstacles between them and the promised land. They expected it to come so easily. They wanted it to be handed to them on a platter. In other words, they wanted cheap salvation. A greasy grace entrance. It's the same popular gospel of the world today. The gospel that says, don't preach against sin and standards and God's law. Preach about self-esteem. Make people feel good about themselves. It's the prosperity gospel, friends. Once saved, always saved. Grace gives us license to sin. It caters to people's feelings instead of developing a faith that will stand the test. This is the gospel. This gospel is the foundation of the emergent ecumenical church movement. They're basically saying that victory is not possible, and when we buy into this false gospel, it turns us away from the promised land, and it turns us back to the wilderness. But in contrast to that discouraging message of victory is impossible, the gospel of the minority, Caleb and Joshua, it said this. Notice chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Chapter 14, verse 7 through 9. Notice what, what Caleb and Joshua said. It says, And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it us a land which flows with milk and, hun milk and honey. Verse 9. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are what? What, what, what do they say? They are what? They're bread for us. In other words, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> They're bread for us. For their defense is departed from them. The Lord is with us. Fear them not. You know what Caleb's and Joshua's gospel was? Simple. Victory is possible. Victory is possible. Not by our own strength or our own might, but it's possible through the promise of the Word of God. Victory is possible. And if the people would have believed this message, they would have entered into the promised land. In other words, friends, God's Word overrides our circumstance and our experience. Yes, it's difficult for us, but if God is for us, who can be against us? God is bigger than our giants. All that God has said, He will do. Can you say amen? I want you to notice what happens. Victory is impossible. The reason why is because the eye gets in the way. When you're doing it yourself, it's impossible. Self, the eye. What is the root word of sin? S-I-N. What is the root word of pride? Or, not the root word, I shouldn't say that, but what word do you see in pride? I. What word do you see in sin? I. S-I-N, an acronym. Satan's independent nature. But what happens when you put a capital H in front of the word I? It turns into him possible. On our own, impossible. But when we put him before us, victory becomes him possible. Do you like that? And so we need to put the H before the I, friends. And as we do, God will take us through into the promised land. Now I want you to notice the promises that God has given to us. Notice these promises. 
Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know what this word, more than conquerors, in the original Greek? The root word is Nike. Nikao is how you pronounce it in the Greek. And what does Nike mean? Just do it. It means victory. And it says we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors through him who loved us. That's what the word means. Philippians 4.13, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens us. Then I love this in Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. These are the promises of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the what kind of nature? The divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The Bible is telling us that victory is possible through Christ. In Mark 10, 27, Jesus looking upon them says, With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And so I want to encourage you, friends, to have faith, not in yourself. And don't be blinded by your circumstances, but have faith in the powerful promises of the Word of God because victory is not dependent on our abilities, but His promise. Don't ever forget, friends, with you, impossible, but with Him, him possible. Put the H before the I. I love what it says in the book of Romans. <clears throat> the true gospel of the mind, before we get to that, the true gospel of the minority is that victory is possible. And that was the gospel that would have taken God's people into the promised land. And it's the same gospel that would bring us there as well. But why are we still wandering in the wilderness? I want to share with you four reasons, and then we'll close. Reason number one, why they remain in the wilderness for another 40 years is because they believe the false gospel. The false gospel of the, of the majority. And when we believe that gospel, it causes us to wander even longer. Number two, why did they wander longer than they should have is because of the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. You see, how many of you believe in God? Do you believe in God? But friends, we need to do more than just believe in God. We need to believe God. You, know, you see the difference? We all believe in God, but do you believe God? Do you believe what He says is true? Do you take him at his word? And that's what our faith should be like. In Hebrews 3, 19, it says, so we, so we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. You see, they believed in God. They all saw the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud and the fire by night. They believed in God, but they did not believe God. And as a result, they had to wander even longer. So that's the second reason. The third reason, uh, besides the sin of unbelief, is because of the lack and absence of true spiritual leadership. In the book Story of Redemption on page 162, they were very, they were very near the good land, but by their wicked rebellion, they forfeited the protection of God. Had they received the report of who? Caleb and Joshua, and gone immediately up God would have given them the land of Canaan. 
but they were unbelieving and showed such an insolent spirit against God that they brought upon themselves the denunciation that they should never enter the promised land. And then the book, Great Controversy, page 457, it gives the application to us, God's people. It says, the history of, the, of ancient Israel is a striking illustration of the past experience of who? The Adventist body. So what happened back then is an illustration of what's happening now to us, God's people in the, in the last days, the spiritual Israelites. God led his people in the Advent movement, even as he led the children of Israel from Egypt. In the great disappointment, their faith was tested as that of the Hebrews at the Red Sea. Had they still trusted to the guiding hand that had been with them in their past experience, they would have seen the salvation of God. If all who had labored unitedly in the work of 1844 had received the third angel's message and proclaimed it in power and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord would have wrought mightily with their efforts. A flood of life would have been shed upon the world. Years ago, the inhabitants of the earth would have been warned and the closing work completed and Christ would have come for the redemption of his people. But he didn't. And we're still wandering in the wilderness. It was not the will of God that Israel should wander 40 years in the wilderness. He desired to lead them directly to the land of Canaan and establish them there as a holy, happy people, but they could not enter because of unbelief. Because of their backsliding and apostasy, they perished in the desert and others were raised up to enter the promised land. In like manner, here's the application. It was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be so long delayed and his people should remain so many years in this world of sin and sorrow, but unbelief separated them from God as they refused to do the work which he had appointed them. Others were raised up to proclaim the message. So what happened back then is being repeated today. And that is my prayer, friends that this world will not be the grave of another entire generation. Let's go in. Let's believe God. Let's take Him at His word, and let's move forward together into the promised land. What do you say? And so, four reasons. Number one, because they believe the false gospel of the majority that says victory is impossible, the prosperity gospel proclaimed in the Christian world. Number two, the sin of unbelief. Number three, the lack and absence of spiritual leadership. And number four, why did Jesus not come yet? Because God is merciful. He's extended probation a little bit longer to give us more time to get ready. How many of you are thankful for that? But he wants to come, friends. And in order, in order for him to come, we must stand up like Joshua and Caleb did. God is looking for some end-time Caleb's. Do you know what the word Caleb means? First of all, you know the, the word Joshua? It means God is my salvation. It's the, it's the same word as, as Jesus, Yeshua. Jehovah is my salvation. But what about Caleb? You know what the word Caleb means? It means barking dog. <laughs> barking dog. In other words, Caleb was not a dumb dog that didn't bark. He barked the message of God, and his message was one that victory is 
possible through the promise of God. How many of you want to be a barking dog? Amen? You know, the Bible tells us that false shepherds are like dumb dogs that cannot bark because they're, fall- they're sleeping. So let's not be like that. Let's be a barking dog. Amen? Patriots and Prophets 388. The people were desperate in their disappointment and despair. A will of agony arose and mingled with the confused murmur of voices. Caleb, notice what Caleb did. Here's what we need to do. We need to do what Caleb did, the barking dog. Here's what he did. Caleb comprehended the situation and bold to stand in defense of the word of God. He did all in his power to counteract the evil influence of his unfaithful associates. What did Caleb do? Three things. He understood the situation. He saw what was happening. He didn't ignore it, nor was he indifferent to it. Number two, he was bold to stand in defense of God's word. And number three, he did all he could to counteract the evil influences of the false messages being proclaimed in the world today. And that's what God is calling us to do. How do we do this? My last verse. Numbers 14, verse 24. What enabled Caleb to do this? Numbers 14 and verse 24. Notice the spirit of Caleb, friends. Numbers 14, verse 24. The Bible says, but this is God bragging about his servant Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit with him, and has followed me how? Fully. Him will I bring into the land, whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. God said concerned, you know, Caleb, he just has a different, there's something different about Caleb. This man is different from the rest. He has another spirit with him. He has my Holy Spirit. Why? Because he follows me fully. And so I want to encourage you, friends, as we close. Follow God fully. Let us not make the wilderness of this world our home. Let not this soil be the grave of another generation. Let us be the generation that believes not just in God, but believes God and moves forward in faith despite the scary giants to go and take what is already given to us by God in His Word. Let's go to the promised land. And I want to go there with you. And so, my brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing being with you today. I wish we had more time. But if I never see you again in this world, meet you in the promised land. Let's go and take it. Amen. If you want to be in the promised land, I invite you to stand with me as we pray. Oh Lord, thank you for this story that inspires us with faith. Lord, we confess that our faith is so small and so weak. We believe, Lord. Help thou our unbelief. I pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us and help us to acknowledge and recognize your presence working in our lives. Give us a faith that is durable, that is strong. Help us, Lord, not to walk by sight or by feelings, but by faith. 
we don't want to stay in this wilderness. We want to go home to the land where there will be no more death or sorrow or pain. Please make us ready for that day. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.